Welcome to the Penny and Pops podcast. He's Spencer Penny Strode. I'm Adam Pops Papa Giorgio. The Magic are 5-17. and 17. That's bad enough for the worst record in the NBA. We've lost six consecutive games. Orlando is 2-8 and eight in its last 10 contests. The losing isn't anything new, but the lack of effort in some of these blowout losses is. If these types of games continue popping up where we're not bringing the effort... Mosley's in trouble. Coach Jamal Mosley, I think, is in trouble uh, because, you know, Jeff Weltman, John Hammond, uh, they're not going to take the blame, not this early. Um, maybe a few trades could happen, but this is classic. Blame the coach's territory we're entering, you know, and I think the flaws of Mosley and his coaching staff, the flaws of our athletic and training staff, and the roster flaws that Weltham chose not to address are all starting to snowball into this bad stretch we're seeing now. Maybe getting guys like Markel Fultz back will right the ship, but this is starting to remind me of Jacques Vaughn's final season, where the losing is seeping into whatever culture that is trying to be implemented. Happy December, everyone. Let's go. Hardaway, straight down the lane, the power jack. Point guard on a 7-6 guy. Here's Lewis turning and he shoots. Yes! Here's Turkaloo for the win. All right, as of this recording, uh, your Orlando Magic are 5-17, and 17, which is the worst record in the, in, in the NBA. We're recording this on Friday, uh, late afternoon, uh, December 2nd. So, Penny, happy December. Uh, hopefully, uh, for the Magic, it's a lot kinder than November was for the most part. But um, our last win came not long after our last pod came out, uh, November 18th in Chicago. So again, we're recording this December 2nd. We have not won a game since <laughs> November 18th. So um, I, I, I don't want to, I usually don't like going through games in the past one because other podcasts do it. And two, it's, I mean, you guys that are listening kind of know, but kind of leading to my, our point of the episode, which is Jamal Mosley, in my opinion. And I, I mean, Penny, you can push back on it or not. Jamal Mosley might be in trouble earlier than uh, we could have predicted, but um, it's kind of like a pattern and a sequence of just how bad our team's efforts been. Cause the losing can be tolerated to a certain extent, especially when you're in a rebuild mode, but when effort and uh, mistakes and discipline and not knowing how to fucking box out uh, just become continuous, it's, it's an issue, but well, you know, with that bulls win, both Wendell Carter Jr. and Gary Harris uh, were back for that game. And now they're both out again at the moment, but um, they were back in and out here and there. But, uh, you know, the that Bulls game was awesome. Uh, you know, it ended up being awesome. It, it was going to be a nightmare loss there for a bit there, but um, we had that uh, the Wagner Carter, uh, which is my favorite thing in the world, my favorite magic meme in the world connection going on with Wendell and Franz going early in that game. And even in this win, it felt like Mosley was sabotaging himself because he he's doing this constantly. He keeps giving minutes to 
our two-way guys a lot, like Admiral and Kevon. Um, I mean, they're, they're our only two-way guys, so obviously. But and we talked about it last pod, but I mean, instead of playing guys like Caleb and RJ, he's he's leaning on these two-way guys. And we've already gone through RJ's future isn't going to be in Orlando because we didn't pick up that option. Like it's highly unlikely that RJ's future is in Orlando past this season or even past the trade deadline at this point. But you know, why are we hurting Hampton's trade value by not playing him? Because he's good when he plays more often than not, like Brooklyn was the only bad example, but that's because he's being yo-yoed back and forth with the lack of minutes. Um, but Hampton more often than not is one of our best bench options or just one of our best players sometimes on certain nights. But, you know, why are you not playing your best, your best players? If you're, you know, supposedly not tanking, if you're supposedly, you know, trying to win, you know, why are you playing key, you know, Kevon and Admiral instead of, instead of RJ. And I'd say Caleb Houston's earned more minutes at this point too, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and also we got, you know, I don't know specifically where we're at with both the two way guys, but there is a game limit to how many NBA games you can actually play your two way guys. And can I ask you a question about yeah. Kevon Harris too? Cause I know the, uh, we're assuming again that he was signed based on, Intel and summer league performance, which was punctuated by a driving ferocious dunk in summer league. I I don't believe that he's dunked the ball yet in any game action. And it doesn't seem like he's getting off the ground at all, like finishing around the rim. How many times have you seen him blow a nice pass from uh, Paolo or someone else where he's trying to elevate off two feet with two hands uh, and or draw a foul and does not get a foul and does not get a bucket. I, I've been surprised by that. I haven't looked it up, but his shooting percentage within like three feet of the rim has to be horrendous still. I know it was bad like early on. It's probably still bad now. And I mean, I don't know what's worse. His three-point shooting percentage or his finishing at the rim? Probably his three-point percentage, but it's... Yeah, I think... I want to say like the first week or two, I think he got in a dunk or two to Kevon, but you're right. I can't recall in the last month him dunking. And I mean, he had a pretty good summer league. Um, and you know, he's he 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 had good statistics in the G League. And I I have less issue with him than say Admiral as far as which guys should have a two-way. Like Kevon at least right. feels like a positional need and like he plays good defense for the most part. And you know, if he ever figures out his shot, like it's going to look pretty good. But um, and to I'm, be fair to him, he he got caught up in COVID and didn't really have like a, didn't have an NCAA tournament. So that's a that's a guy that you're taking a flyer on. But I I agree with you. The admiral thing is almost indefensible at this point. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. I mean, and that's why I get I again, I was given guys like Cole and RJ and you can throw Kevon Harris in there like a break because. They didn't have like their final, they didn't have an NCAA tournament. They didn't have a combine. They didn't have all that stuff basically, or they didn't have, you know, summer league. They didn't have any of that. And, and for most of those guys, it's taken a lot of them like a full year or longer to finally get acclimated to the NBA. Like I would say Cole is still like improving his body, improving, getting used to the league. RJ, who got no time at all in Denver because, you know, Malone wouldn't play him and then COVID hit him and knocked him out for a month. Thank you, Michael Porter Jr., I guess. But, um, you know, and then Kevon, you're right. He's He went under the radar, even though 
you know, he had a really good career uh, in college, especially at Stephen F. Austin. And um, he's, he's had quite the journey and you're right. Even though he's, te- you know, he's in what, I forget what his age, is he 20, is he one of our 25 year olds as well? Is, I think he's 24. So he's, yeah. you know, he's got time on his side a little bit there, especially when you're still technically kind of fresh out of college for the most part, but um, he shouldn't be out there. Admiral definitely shouldn't be out there, but Kevon should have not played more than 10 games so far this season. And I, and half of that should have been like garbage time, not rotational minutes. Some of that is, well, a lot of that's injury, but you know, a good portion of that too is, I don't know what Mosley's doing with these rotations. So, but, you know, going back to that bulls game that we won, um, you know, just simple, just, uh, just Mosley mistakes or just miss, you know, bad decisions on my part. Like the coaching staff kept Franz, in the game to then pick up a fifth foul late in the third, that third quarter, which was a completely avoidable thing. Like take, take him out, man. He's got four fouls, get him the hell out. And Suggs early in the game, he decided he was wearing a face mask and he decided he didn't need it any longer. I'm glad his face has held up since then. Um, But he, you know, that was his game. He, he made some great plays on both ends early on and he got that game winner at the end. But I mean, there is, way too many turnovers for him. I mean, Jalen had six of our 16 turnovers turnovers in that Bulls game. But it doesn't matter because when you make the game-winning shot and you make clutch yeah. shots like that, you know, that that kind of gets erased from your memory for the most part. Like, you can forgive that. And, you know, that was our last victory. And I do have to bring up that that Franz uh, charge against Caruso because oh. I was I was incensed. Everybody was incensed. I, I'm, I don't know if like the NBA league accounts blocked me yet. I don't know, but I, cause I'm, I'm still not happy about that, but to, to have a situation where Franz is doing a normal Euro step move to try and score and Caruso stumbles in his path. And because of that, Franz incidentally steps on his foot. That's either a, a blocking foul on Caruso, which would have been an and one because Franz made the bucket, or that's a no call, and neither happened. It was an offensive foul, and you know, it, it's insane because I mean, it was fifty-one seconds left in the game, and if if Franz gets that and one, it's the Magic are up two with him, get, you know, going the free throw line, and instead he fouls out, and it looked like Chicago was going to win the game, and thank God that we stole that victory. Um, I, I don't know. What, do you have any pen, remaining thoughts with, because not only was, did we challenge that and it's still, the challenge didn't go in our favor, but then the league doubled down in the that, final two minute report yeah. and was like, no, like we stand by it. Well then why isn't every Euro step move that has any type of content an offensive foul then? Cause that's right. the only one I've ever seen where that's happened. Yeah. The, the only thing that I can conceivably think of is, uh, not so much a Euro step, but, but normally in the, in the backcourt, uh, like the Chris Paul thing where you're, uh, veering in front of the trailing big that's behind you to get him to climb over your back. Like, I, I assume that's the application that they're talking about, uh, in but it's not nearly the same thing call. though. Yeah. No, it's not nearly no, the same thing. And, and, no. and they're both in enti- I mean, he's already cleared Alex Caruso's shoulders. He's behind him now. He's entitled uh, to that space. Exactly. Yeah, it made no sense, and I was pretty surprised. I mean, uh, it becomes a laughable thing more than an uh, enraging thing after the magic. Well, we won, get out of there God. with the win. Yeah, yeah. but God. but to 
see that report come out, it was tough to make sense of. So then since that Bulls win, we had, you know, the first of two games in Indiana, which was the yeah. second night of a back-to-back. Gary and Wendell were kept out for injury management purposes. You know, they did their job in Chicago. And, you know, I joked that the tank was back on, even though, you know, what, have you ever had, have, have you, or do you know anyone of our friends that have ever had plantar fasciitis? Cause I don't, but I know based off other past injuries of other players and what I've read that that's a pain in the ass injury. And I know, you know I completely understand why Wendell's missing time here and there. Yeah, I mean, I certainly probably not to the extent that Wendell or others have had it and been sidelined. But if you feel the the fiery pop, anyone that's had that, I think, can extrapolate and imagine, uh, especially when you're moving that frame with that much force and athleticism, that it's uh, easy to to aggravate and you want to get it healed and, and sit out long enough to not have it be a recurring thing. And then Gary had played his first game, so I understand why he set out that back-to-back. But I, you know, I was joking that the tank was back on in Indy. But um, you know, Franz and, and Suggs were great in that Pacers game. Um, it was just interesting to see how Suggs would handle Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton's just amazing, and I'm glad the Kings are doing well. But like the Pacers won that trade because Halliburton's amazing. He's going to be an All Star this season, and. I mean, he carries my fantasy basketball team. He carried it last season, and I was, I was smart enough to draft him again early this season, and he's he's a beast. But um, Franz continues to re-hurt that right middle finger on his right hand that he injured a long time ago in that Rockets game, and he's experimented with different wrappings, and there's going to come a time oh, oh, over the next few weeks, I feel like, especially if we're getting guys back where – you you almost have to just sit him out because you know Jeff Turner was the one who broke who revealed it that he basically tore a tendon in his or, or, or did something messed up to one of the, to you know a tendon in his hand in that hand and so I mean it sounds like it can't get much worse but I mean you want that to get better and it's just insane that Franz has just been so good despite all that because like he's average he averaged in November like 21.7 points per game he was shot 39% from three point range uh, in the month of November after just a really bad October start and and he's he's the best second year player so far because the Raptors bench Scotty Barnes he's coming off the bench and Franz has just been amazing and he's been so awesome that he taught Jalen Suggs his Patton and Dirk fade away as well. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I also don't understand in that first Pacers game, why Mosley didn't challenge the Aaron Neesmith foul with nine seconds left, because at worst you make him think about making two free throws at worst. Even if you lose the challenge, like you have that long timeout, you have that long pause, like at, like you have to use it. You might as well use the challenge. Like there's nine yeah. seconds left in the game. Like what are the odds that you're going to use it again after that? And so, yeah, I mean, the final play of that game was fine. Franz had a, just a good left handed driving layup attempt. He just missed it. He makes it other, you know, other times. It just didn't work out this time. Like it's a good look. That's all you can ask for is a good look. And then that he, you know, Mo Bamba, he missed probably what should have been a better tip attempt at the end there. Um, but we lose a tight one. You're fine with that, whatever, you know. Yeah. But from there, it gets ugly because then you're at Indy. 
for the second game now of that little stretch there. You had a day off in between. And there's not much to mention for his game because we just came out flat. The Pacers wrecked us. They won by 21 points. Like Harris played in that game. This is when Wendell starts, you know, sitting out with the plantar fasciitis uh, more and more. And it's a concern because he's never been a 70 plus game center for, for his career at this point. And he's our best rebounder, but if he can't, you know, if he can't go for 70 plus games in a season, then you really got to invest in that backup center position. And maybe more Wagner when he shakes the rust off is going to end up being that guy, or maybe there's just another guy that's going to come in the off season that we don't know of yet, but um, him being out just hurts our defending and rebounding so much. And that's kind of the pattern that we're getting into. Cause you know, once, once we get into black Friday, you know, that was when we had the first of two home games against the Sixers where we had three days off. Thanksgiving was involved in that. Um, Philly here, actually here. First off, happy belated Thanksgiving, Penny. Um, yep. even though obviously we wish each other this stuff in real time in real life. What's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Because for me, I'm not a turkey guy. I think turkey's overrated. I'm a stuffing guy. My mom makes the best stuffing on the planet in my mind. You got a favorite? Uh, I, I enjoy a good stuffing myself. We do a cream cheese mashed potato that's good. Do, do you put nuts in the stuffing? Yes, there are nuts in the stuffing. Um, yeah. yeah. Not, a nut, not a nut guy in stuffing. Well, maybe you had the wrong ones. I don't know. <laughs> but, maybe. But... Um, yeah, anyway, that was that was a good little detour there. But uh, look, we had three days off from that indie game to that first Philly game on Black Friday. Philly wins that game by eight, and we were down a lot more than that. We were down often for that game. You know, the, the eight was flattering for the most part. But we just played weak, and, like, we were on Thanksgiving hangover. So then it's like, all right, maybe you can blame the Thanksgiving holiday a little bit. Like, I get that. Um, Sunday, though. So going from Black Friday to that to, to this past Sunday, you got the Sixers again at Amway Center, part two. Magic, they uh, they kept Fultz, Wendell, Suggs, and OKK out. Uh, even though all were questionable going, going into the game, they were all out. Um, in that situation, they should have just listed them as doubtful because <laughs> people were pissed off. Like fans were really, really pissed off that especially Markel did not play in that game. And... Even T Ross on Twitch is just fanning the the tanking fires even more with what he's saying on his Twitch stream channel. Um, I won't delve further into the quotes or anything because other Magic Pods mentioned it, but um, basically he's like, "I'm you know, I, you know, Markel's gonna play. I'm gonna play." And then, of course, the game he he comes back. Markel doesn't play, and then he misses the next game, whether it's for illness or for whatever. Um, it's just interesting. But for that sixer, that second sixer game, we started Bomba Bowl, Paolo, Gary, and Franz. And we were just out hustled and out muscled again. Like Philly, again, for this game, just like the last game, they didn't have Embiid, Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and a few other guys. And they destroyed us by 30. Like Doc Rivers put on like a padnet Harden hustle, like coaching clinic that weekend. Like he, he kicked Mosley's ass as far now, as that. Have, as here's a question for you. And I know yeah, start gonna, jumping in because I, 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 you know, you know me. I'll rant and riff I, or whatever. I know we're going to talk about the coaching situation in, in further detail, but the schedule has given us an interesting quirk this year with a fair number of back-to-backs against the same team. So you get a lot of talk about coaches talking about other coaches, and also by virtue of. Uh, 
you know, playing the Pacers where Rick Carlisle, uh, Mosley coached under Rick Carlisle for so long in Dallas. Yeah, he did. Um, and, and also look, let's be, let's be honest. The NBA coaching fraternity is tight, right? They're very protective of one another, mm-hmm. but have you noticed the most effusive praise from one coach to another always goes to the shittiest coaches? It's not has, wrong. Now, you're, you know you're what I'm not saying? Wrong. Not, not, to say, not to say that we're technically saying Mosley is a shitty coach, but... No, but um, and, and sometimes it's protective of being in a bad situation, right? Where the, yeah. a coach will praise another coach and say without saying like, you know, management's holding them back and everyone right. knows what the situation is. They're getting that. You're not getting that with Jamal Mosley. You're getting generic, effusive praise, which to me always indicates that that coach has a pretty confident feeling that he can outclass his uh, opponent. A- am I wrong in thinking that? No, I think you're right. And I'm glad you had brought that up. Cause I wouldn't have brought that up, but um you know, it didn't. It didn't cross my mind coming into this pod, but you're so you're, you're right. You're getting a lot of Carlisle quote, who, by the way, is not necessarily like. There's a little weird dynamic there with the Dallas thing because he he wasn't overtly. Uh, I don't. What would you say? Like congratulatory when when he got the job in Orlando, and I don't know. But there's a lot of Carlisle. Quote. He wanted somebody else. Who did Carlisle want? I forget now because yeah. I don't. Because it wasn't him. It was yeah. oh god. Was it Wes Unsell Jr.? No, I don't know. But I and wanted Wes getting, Unsell Jr. But well, yeah. Now, well, now too. I mean, God, he's got Washington at, at or above 500, depending on when you listen to this. They're motoring. Um, they're they're looking yeah. good. But anyway, you get um, Rivers quotes, and then I I would not be shocked as we come up on the Atlanta Hawks situation to get effusive Nate McMillan praise of the job that Jamal Mosley's been doing. Yeah, I guess we'll get, we'll take a look at that. Yeah, I mean, anyway, so I mean, we got to mention again that Bomba and Bowl just do not work well together on the floor. Like we more often than not get wrecked when we start them as our front court and. That hurts the other guys because Paolo is best at power forward. And until his switching and lateral defense improves, like putting him at small forward, it's it's a downgrade for him than at power forward. And then Franz, the poor guy, he should be our small forward, but he's so good that we play him at shooting guard and point guard because of injuries. And, you know, his right hand is killing him. And, you know, when you're running point, like you're you're not cutting and going off the ball like you you have that ball in your hand a lot more so that opens the door for him to get hacked more and injuring that right hand more for it to keep hurting him more so um again hell of a month of december of the november for franz paolo because of the ankle he missed too many games and so benedict Matherin won rookie of the year or rookie of the month for october and november so that sucks um i would say because paolo is still scoring like almost 23 points per game that he's still the favorite for rookie of the year. If he keeps playing the majority of the, of the games this season um, that he would win rookie of the year right now, but they gave it to Matherin because one, the paces are good because Rick Carlisle is a good coach. And, you know, I got that right. When I questioned, are we sure the Pacers are going to tank? Um, you did. Uh, and they should not tank because they have, pretty good team and when miles turner is like engaged and trying to actually defend the rim like 
they're freaking good. And now that they got Halliburton and Matherin, and you still have like a guy like Buddy Heald who can hit shots, whatever. Um, and you have a great coach like Rick Carlisle, like they should go for the playoffs or go for the play-in. And I think that's what they're going to end up doing at this point. Because unless you flat out just sit out Halliburton, like it's really tough to tank if you're that team. But um, yeah, Matherin won rookie of the month. Like I know some Magic fans are mad, but like Paolo did miss like a good chunk of games because of that ankle. And so whatever, we'll, we'll leave it for now. But um, Matherin's stats look pretty good too, because he's coming off the bench and he's not going up against starters all the time. Like Paolo is. And Paolo is a guy that is getting keyed in as like our number one scoring option oftentimes. And he's still playing really freaking well. Like the only thing that's not great with him is obviously the three point shooting. And then they are trying to pick him apart defensively. So, um, but, and he's still trying to find his groove coming back. Like he, he had a really great Brooklyn game, which we'll get to, but um, yeah, I mean, Paolo is going to be fine, but as any rookie that gets that much attention, like don't be surprised if like teams start mixing up like defenses more and just keying in on him even more. Um, but he's handling it well so far. So, but you know, Mosley's frustration boiled over and just definitely showed in that post game of that Sixers loss, that second Sixers loss, because we, we got murdered. We, we lost by 30 points. Like when you, when you lose by 30 uh, it's tough to sugarcoat much. And he did mention in that post game that there was some type of illness going around the team, whether that was or was or is cold flu. Supposedly it's not COVID um, stomach virus. Uh, we don't know. Like, and we're never going to know because no one revealed what it was, but that still doesn't excuse the lack of in-game adjustments and just the lack of effort overall. Um, unless just the whole freaking team was sick, but I mean, I don't know. I didn't see guys throwing up or any of that. So um it's tough to say with that, but it's just this inconsistent efforts of pain in the ass. Cause in then Brooklyn on, on Monday, second night of a back-to-back, you would expect us to get murdered after what happened against Philly. That didn't happen. And the magic had nine bodies available for that game. Bombo was being added to the injury list with the back spasms. Caleb Houston had his first career start. He did pretty good. And then we had great games from, Paolo, Franz, Bull, and Gary Harris. Like, they were all huge in the game. And we played well. We only lost by seven because Kevin Durant had an insane game. If he only has just a great game, the Magic win. But Kevin Durant had just one of his, like, all-time, like, efficiency, 40-plus high-scoring you know, high scoring games that, you know, if he if he just scores 35, like, we win that game. But um, Paolo was solid in the game. He had some really aggressive plays, which – that's a good sign when a guy's coming back off of injury, when he's throwing like really, you know, throwing his body around and getting some big time dunks in the game. Um, he had that cool kind of Jersey swap moment with Kevin Durant, which I like Kevin Durant. Um, he's a little insecure on Twitter, just like I am sometimes. So I'm cool with that. Um, but Kevin Durant seems like a good dude. And it was funny when the magic drafted Paolo, when Paolo, uh, shared that, uh, that Photoshop of him and Kevin Durant and magic jerseys. So there's something to keep in, in the back of your head, maybe potentially, but um, yeah. Uh, any thoughts on the Brooklyn game? Um, uh, I mean, cause it was that, that was like the one good sign over the past you know week, basically was this Brooklyn game. Yeah. Um, and I, but I also think too, that it's, 
like for the players, it's easier to get up to to play against a Kevin Durant or a Kyrie Irving, right? Like there's uh, they're showing up, and it's actually someone that they can test themselves against. So uh, yeah, the fight was better, the performance was better. It was not a runaway situation, so it was entertaining to watch. Um, but the you know expected outcome, nonetheless. So then you're thinking, okay, we play well in Brooklyn. We're getting some bodies back. Maybe Leonis going around the team has stopped. So then you get a day off. The Hawks come to town, come to Amway Center. That's a division rival. Atlanta is a playoff team. Um, they're doing a little bit better than I thought they would, but I still don't trust them as an actual contender. But anyway, uh, we lost a frustrating tight game in Atlanta the first week of the season. So you think, okay, the team's going to take this Brooklyn performance and carry it into Atlanta and or carry it into this Hawks game. And that didn't happen. The Hawks dominated us and they beat us by 17. And that was with John Collins getting, you know, rolling his ankle at the end of the first half and being out like Fultz happy to have him back. He started that game. He was on a 15 minute limit, uh 15 minute restriction, which I think he surpassed it by a few minutes. And then Cole Anthony was on a 20 minute limit. Um, he was coming off the bench, Cole got into foul trouble. So that kind of kept that doubt, uh, out as far as if he was going to really surpass that 20 minutes by a lot or not. But, um, we missed Wendell and I'd say Suggs as well, badly in this game. Wendell, because of the lack of rebounding, like even Mo Bamba's size would have been some small help in this game, even though Bamba's not a good rebounder, but rebounding points in the paint turnovers, just a huge, massive problem. Bull. He's not a center, let alone a starting center. Um, so like Clint Capella was, and even like Okongwu, like they're going to muscle him and throw him around like, you know, like it's nothing. And I don't care how rusty Moritz's shot still is like, he should have started that game because he would have handled uh, Capella a little bit better, but Mosley chose not to do that. Gary Harris tweaking his right hamstring. It's not great. Um, it's not, uh, you know, he had knee surgery on that other, on his left leg. So it's not, you know, it's a different leg. So hopefully the hamstring doesn't keep him out long, but, um, without him or Jalen Suggs, like our, or without Gary, you know, healthy and with no Suggs at all, like our perimeter defense just nosedives. Um, and unless you have like a prime Dwight Howard protecting the rim, like the defense is going to suffer. Um, and so I don't know, Penny, any thoughts on the Atlanta game? I was really disappointed with the effort because like that crowd was was hyped for Fultz to be back and Cole to be back. And they just fell flat. Yeah, they fell flat. And uh, one of the other reasons to get up for that game is still the DeJounte Murray clown show that he's got going across the NBA with head taps and everything. Yeah, like, that's still um, it was disappointing. Obviously, there was a lot of excitement in the building for both, but specifically for Mar Markel Folds, because we, I mean, everyone knows, like, it's, it's, he's going to drive the engine or the car's not worth salvaging, you know, like, <laughs> it's, I think it's high stakes for him and for the team the rest of the year in that regard. Um, but yeah, real, real frustrating performance. Um, God, it, it kind of sucks to, <laughs> I, I'm a fan of the game, right? We're not just fans of the magic. We're a fan of the game too, but there's something about watching Trey Young go off on your team that's not very enjoyable. 
Well, also, I like I dislike Trey Young. Like I, I'm like he's high on my most disliked guys. Like he's up there with Harden, Kyrie in my book. And I don't like. I mean, I like Dejounte Murray in in San Antonio, and then come to find out, like his personality sucks, and that was a big reason why they traded him to Atlanta. And Atlanta's finding out, which it's fine now because they're winning and whatnot. But like, if that boils over into the locker room, like they're gonna get that regret that trade pretty quickly. And you're right, like for. Yeah. Is there a worse uh like combination of nickname and signature celebration than ice tray and cold shiver? Yeah, it's that's pretty gotta bad. That's got to be the worst, right? It's pretty bad. Um I'm sure there's a worse one out there, but that that's pretty bad. Um so the Magic are the worst team in the league, and when you're the worst team in the league, there's no easy stretch of games. We have now, again, we're doing this Friday before the Magic play in Cleveland. We have this back-to-back stretch now at Cleveland. And then in Toronto, you know, tomorrow, Saturday, we have then five straight home games against Milwaukee, the Clippers, Toronto twice, and then Atlanta again. And then you have two road games at Boston and you play the Hawks again in Atlanta. It's going to, it's not going to be an easy three weeks. Like it's like, you can't pick a win from that stretch. Like the two games that actually look kind of winnable are after that December 21st at Houston. And then we host the Spurs December 23rd. Like right now, both those teams are kind of tanking with us right now. Um, But we feasibly could be 20 games under 500 by then. Like our season would be done before Christmas and have fun convincing non-season ticket holding locals to pay money for this product. Then, and I don't care how great guys like Wendell, Paolo, Franz, and Foltz are like tanking corrupts all of that talent. And, you know, we might see the magic make trades before, you know, that, that uh, before Christmas, because December 15th is when a lot of players around the league who are free agents in the summer become available for trade. Maybe for the sake of the locker room or the sake of maybe Jamal Mosley's job, like they, they might make a move or two uh, earlier than say the trade deadline. We're going to find out, but um I don't know, Penny. Uh, are there was there any of those games prior to December twenty first that I mentioned? One that seems winnable because on paper right now, not really. Now I'm huge on Fultz. You're you're pretty big on Fultz, I imagine. Like if he starts playing consistently, like we might steal a game or two there. And obviously, those some of those you know teams that are focusing on the playoffs and focusing on other things, like they might overlook us and we might steal a game here too, but just on paper, like I'm not confident in any of those games these next three weeks. No, not, not confident. And certainly not going to be, are we going to be favored in any game down like until April, probably when everyone's resting uh, for their playoff run. Uh, There's not a lot to look forward to in terms of winnable games. You're right. We'll probably steal one or two. Uh, it's a shame we can't play the Mavericks again because they like to drop games to bottom feeders. But uh, the the thing about Fultz, too, is when are we going to see him play more than 20 minutes a game? How long do you think minute restrictions will be in effect The outside of the upcoming back-to-back where surely half the team will rest on one of the two nights? Uh, we're, we're pretty fortunate, again, with uh, days off in between games, but still it doesn't seem like the team or the organizations in any rush to um, lengthen the leash on people coming back from injury. I think it'll be like a subtle uptick. Like he was supposed to play 15 in the, in the, in that last game he played. Um, 
against uh, against Atlanta. I'm hoping he'll play 20 tonight against Cleveland, and then it'll probably hover around 20, 25 for a bit um, for like a week or two. But and then Cole probably 20, 25 uh, as well, but for like a week, maybe two. But I don't know. I mean, I, I would say. If he's good to go, let him go. Like Fultz didn't seem fatigued to me in the time he did play. So, like I said, I hope he plays twenty tonight. Um, but I, because it's, I mean, it really the instructions or advice are coming from the training staff, training athletic staff, which are probably getting some advice from the front office as well. Uh, no one's going to admit to that, but that's kind of how that works sometimes. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I'm at with that. I don't know if you have a different viewpoint. I, well, I just, I, and again, I think this ties into maybe coaching too, like managing the available players, but look, M- NBA rosters with the two-way guys are now at 17. The Magic have had terrible luck or, and or injury prone players and or uh, questionable health and wellness and recovery tactics. But I, I think part of it too, is you're going to have to probably manage like teams being cautious you're going to have to manage the 68 games that your guy's going to play across your roster uh, and try and, and try and get better results than uh, what we've seen lately out of it. All right. Let's uh, let's talk Mosley a bit here because already early in his second season as magic head coach, there's some valid concern about him being able to continue to motivate the locker room because it can get definitely get uglier this month. Like we just talked about what's what's coming this month or the rest of this month. What seemed impossible, you know, Mosley losing his job in his second season, you'd be almost doing your doing yourself a disservice to not at least ponder it now, which is kind of crazy. But Walt Ham have not done him favors. Like we don't have a third point guard on this roster. I'd kill for even like a Facundo Campazzo who just signed in Europe today. Um, but you know, when Fultz and Cole were both out, like we had Franz and Paolo and RJ Hampton running point. And it's like, we should have had a third point guard on this team. We don't have a third banger rebounding veteran center with Robin Lopez, you know, not on this roster. Like you got Wendell and Moritz, that's about it. And Moritz isn't even like the biggest rebounder, uh, but you know, that's not enough. Like we re-signed Bamba when someone like, Isaiah Hardenstein was out there. Um, a lot of our players have injury histories and buying low on these guys is kind of backfiring at the moment. Um, why is Admiral Schofield still on a two-way when you have these kind of glaring weaknesses that chop us at the legs six weeks into a season? Like, honestly, like, cause the Admiral Schofield, like it's a cool story. Um, good guy. I mean, everybody's a good guy on the team. Like that's, that's never, that's not a debate, but like, I just, I don't know what he brings. Cause even like his defending, like his defending isn't that good. And it's especially not good when he's playing power forward and and center, like especially center, like he's getting killed. And so, cause he's not a center. He, He doesn't have anywhere near the size. Like he's a strong guy for somebody that should be on the wing and whatnot, but like him and Kivon kind of interlap as where as what, their ideal positions are basically and Schofield can't shoot either. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating. And like, are, did we reward him for almost getting a fist fight with Charlotte last season? Like, I, I don't know. Like it's, we kind of mentioned this, but 
I, I just don't see what Schofield brings. Like, no offense to the guy, but like you're you're a G leaguer right now at best. Yeah, uh, I, you're you're exactly right. There's been no favors done in terms of roster composition, and that also speaks directly to the goal of the season, does it not? Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's it's everything has pointed to tanking, whether it's subtle or not so subtle, and you know whether the coaching you know the coaching staff and the players aren't going to tank, but there's stuff like you know injury decisions, rests, uh, stuff like that. You know and how you how you build a roster and the type of glaring flaws that you have in your roster that you can point to as tank moves. So, and look, unless Weltham let. Ernest Eugene and, and Lindsey Winninger go to send a message that, hey, why are we leading the NBA in games lost due to injury or COVID for a third consecutive season? Because we are by a large amount. I think we're almost doubling the second the team that's in second as far as games lost. But we, you know, we have the best training and practice facility in NBA now. Like we're we're changing, you know, are you going to change up now our athletic and training head staff? Because that's that's pretty much the only folks that we haven't changed like we've 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 moved around and switched out like some of the lower end staff but the head folks they've been around for three or four years and yeah we have this best training you know training practice facility in nba now and it's it's not showing results at the moment and you know at that point if you don't go for them then mosley's almost the next fall guy if this continues for a month or two where you're still having all these problems with the team and Look, Jacques Vaughn in the Rob Hennigan era, he made it 216 games before he was fired during his third season. And Jacques Vaughn doing pretty well with Brooklyn so far after Steve Nash departed. Um, JV with the Magic, he went 58 and 158, which is a 269 win percentage. I didn't show you this, Penny, but who has a better uh, winning percentage as Magic head coach, Jacques Vaughn or Jamal Mosley? I mean, it's got it's got to be Jacques Vaughn right now, right? A better win percentage? Yeah, yeah. It's it's close though. He's JV's at two sixty nine winning percentage. Uh, Jamal Mosley's at two sixty, so it's mm-hmm. uh, it's not great right now. But you know, Jacques in his first year with the Magic, he went twenty and sixty two. Year two, twenty three and fifty nine. And when we were supposed to start winning, fifteen and thirty seven. And then James Borrego <laughs> finished out that season. Um, I was there as credentialed media covering all of those seasons. Penny, you covered some of those games. Jacques was the first coach of the Hennigan rebuild. Mosley is the first coach of this current Waltham rebuild. Both first-time head coaches uh, when they took uh, took the magic job. Uh, Jacques, I think, was only assistant coach with the, with the Spurs for like two or three years um, while um, – you know, Jamal Mosley has had over like a decade, basically. Um, and yeah, I mean, I said it last season, you can't take for more than 12 to 18 months and expect there to be no ill effects of that on your team and your franchise. Like the rebuild started the last few months of Steve Clifford's reign with those big trade deadline deals where we send out, you know, Aaron and Vooch and we're past 18 months now. Um, we, we already beat the lottery odds. We have Paolo. We like, we got our guy, number one, we got Ben Carroll. Like we have, enough young talent already um we have a huge lack of veterans like it's gary harris and that's about it like people want to mention terrence ross 
I won't mention Terrence Ross. Like we we have a lack lack of veterans. And just as a reminder, finishing with a bottom three record in the NBA only gets you a fourteen percent chance at the number one pick. That's not a lot. And you know, is getting Wimbanyama or Scoot Henderson worth doing? Player development and physical harm and burnout to your current roster. I I don't think so, but clearly Weltham do at this point. Um, but they weren't around for Jock Vaughn and Rob Hennigan. Like we saw it. Like <laughs> we were there, and it just it started just like this with JV, where effort became a problem. You know, at some point in his second season, and definitely in the third season. Because that team, even though less talented than what we currently have in my eyes now, that Jock Vaughn team, they were so used to just losing uh, that by year three, like that lack of discipline, sloppiness, lack of accountability because we were tanking, all of that just kind of built up and snowballed. And there was no switch to turn on when the tanking was supposed to stop. Like that switch just was not there. Uh, We just did not know how to win. And it's starting to feel a little like that with Mosley. It's still early. Like I, I don't get me wrong. It's it's still early, and I hope for his sake that you know we start bringing that consistent effort again. Like if he do, if we do, like he's he's safe until next season. Like I, I don't have much of a doubt about it. But because it basically took Jacques Vaughn around eight years to get a full time head coaching gig again, and you know I already mentioned Mosley. He has a worse winning percentage right now than Jacques Vaughn, who is the worst head coach in magic history based on winning percentage you know mosley is five and 17 at the moment this season he's 27 and 77 all time uh as a magic head coach at the moment and let's just again we got to point it out because with with the flaws of just what's going on with mosley and the coaching staff because it's just it's a huge combination of things now it's not just the losing like it's the lack of set plays the lack of out of timeout plays the lack of using challenges the lack of in-game adjustments not knowing when to pick up a technical to defend your players the bad player rotations the lack of shoot arounds on game days there's a lot going on against mosley currently and there's just and when you base your philosophy on pace space in the past, and that's not really happening, like you're bot- you know bottom half of the league in pace, you're basically like bottom five in assists. Like if you ever get into a high pressure situation in the game, like you can't do that pace space pass thing. Like the game tightens up, like the game slows down. Where's your playbook at that point? And so I don't know. I like, think that's a I think that's a very astute point that. Uh, I, I'm not certain that I've seen that elsewhere and I, I'd like to commend you for it. He he basically said, judge me on, on these statistics, right? I mean, you, you can't, I guess you can judge space uh, by tracking cameras, but the average fan is not gonna look at that data. Um, but pace is uh, readily available and digestible, and certainly assists are just as a regular counting stat. Uh, both of those are woeful. We we talked about uh, in a previous pod that the regardless of how some fans feel and the external kind of sense of what's going on, that internally everything coming out was that. He had total command and control uh, and respect and basically adoration from the locker room. But we we all know how fast that can change. Rapidly, and yeah. If you, if you just think about 
I, I, I don't know, even, even in your own life, like a, a, an optimistic person, a positive person is a good thing. Um, but coming in every day and not being, not tempering that with some reality uh, starts to get irritating. You know, you can't come in and preach the same message uh, in March when you're 30 games under uh, and you just got railroaded by 25 points. Like there, there has to be some level of objectivity uh, along with everything else with the messaging. Other, otherwise, to me, it becomes uh, stale and, you know, it, it, it becomes, for lack of a better word, irritating. And, and irritating grows and festers. Um, and then you can't come back from that. And Jacques Vaughn was like a positive person too. Like it's, it, it, there's some similarities in the, his personality and, and Jamal Mosley's personality. And, and positivity is good, right? Positivity is good. And it is, but it's just, it's impossible to just, right. like you said, it's like, it's impossible to, to keep dragging it on if, you know, all, all these problems just fester and consume everybody. Like, I mean, Jacques Vaughn by the end, like he, he, just, he couldn't do it. Like he, I thought he he can he he went out with as good of an attitude as I could have thought like when he went out and but like even like a guy like Frank Vogel like the job was fucking killing him by the time he got out of here and it's just like it, it, he, I mean he was miserable and I mean Steve Clifford didn't want to go through a tank but funny enough in Charlotte he's going through a tank right now and I'd be curious to see how his health holds up hopefully well but um yeah I mean it's I, a quick question yep. for you. Because oh, yeah, you go for it. it. Are we accurate? I agree that I think the, the foundation of this team has more talent uh, than the previous rebuild. But are we accurately rating the potential of that team? If you're talking about now point guard, we, we never really filled a hole there necessarily, although we could have through free agency um, <laughs> uh, other than Shelvin Mack. But uh, Victor Oladipo. Maurice Harkless, Tobias Harris, Nikola Vucevic, you're talking about probably the, the four, unarguably the four best players of, of the original rebuild. Yeah. All all-star, borderline all-star, and in the case of Harkless, a, turned into a very serviceable player for a long time. He's a good journeyman. Now, like, if you make teams, over yeah. 50 mil in the league, like, you made it. Like, you're good, man. <laughs> like, right. right. But, do, do, are we, did we... Sh- did we sell short? Did we shortchange the ceilings of those players? Was it simply the, the environment that was created here that losing became acceptable? What do we attribute to the fact that those players blossomed elsewhere? Uh, even when we tried to flip the switch here and bring in some veteran players to surround them to take that leap. I mean, I think it's it, it was the environment and just not great player development. And we're kind of seeing it right now with Mosley because, like, I don't see much progress with Chuma. And clearly something bad happened with R.J. Hampton, whether that – I don't know if that's development or, or what, but, I I mean, Hampton's development's been sabotaged because they're trying to play him at point guard. But, I mean, there's De- guys- Development, too. I, at the end of the day, it comes down to the player number one, right? I think we can agree on that, but – it has to start and end with the player, but also uh, the program and the personnel. So the the personnel is different now, but I'm not I'm not entirely certain it's better either. And you're talking about uh, retread 
skill and development coaches that never really stuck elsewhere or who have done uh, independent coaching, you know, for a variety of players for decades. Um, I, I'm not sold on, on the staff that we've assembled either. Um, it's hard to judge from the outside. It's harder to judge with consistent nagging injuries, but I don't know that there's much to point to in terms of progression. Is there anything that we can hang our hat on for any one player so far that you would attribute to the environment and, and the system that fosters improvement here? I mean, I think we got to get Franz. We got to throw Franz in there. Like, I don't think that was just individual. Cause well, cause let's think, cause remember he, he had that and, awful and, summer league his rookie right. year. Then he did whatever he was doing in the offseason. He still played horribly in preseason leading into his rookie year. And then something turned on with him. So I'll give him that. I mean, I'll give him Franz because I, I can't imagine that was just all individual. Um, and to be fair, we do have the brand new performance training center practice facility that uh, hopefully by virtue of both the amenities and the accessibility uh, lends itself to players spending more time there and having everything that they need. For Franz, though, do, are we not putting uh, a huge emphasis on Eurobasket and, and the national team responsibilities for elevating his confidence and skill base by doing those different things? I mean, for this season, sure. So, but I mean, go, I'm talking just specifically rookie season. So I don't know, but yeah, because I mean, right now we're not doing him a disservice by not playing them, you know, off the ball. Like the guy, the guy's great with the ball in his hands. Like we know that, but um, I mean, a lot of that was, he was doing that in Eurobasket. So, um, and it's just funny seeing how frustrated he is after certain either turnovers or fouls that wouldn't be fouls in Europe. Um, he's, he's still kind of getting used to that, but there's times where I, I, I just think it runs through his head. Like he, he, how much more he would rather be on in like a, coach Gordy Herbert like system than whatever's being run right now with this team. Like, I just feel like that runs through his head, but um, yeah, look, I mean, look with Tobias also the, the, yeah. the out of bounds plays too. We talk about no set plays, but look at, we don't uh, run anything out of bounds. Every single time the magic have a baseline out of bounds. It's the same triangle play call uh, that very rarely results in not only like very rarely results in an open shot and less rarely results in an advantageous situation other than just firing the ball in bounds. And uh, a lot of teams have a limited selection for baseline out of bounds, but they have more than one. And I feel like the only way we score is like some big athletic feat, not, not anything to do with the play itself. So like, I, I don't know, man, there's, we got problems. Um, but going back to the, I mean, going back to your, the, your question, I mean, look, Tobias, I think he, there's no way he's going to get better now, but I mean, he, he found a high peak in with the Clippers and even with the, the first year in Philly or whatever it was like, he, yeah. he elevated himself. Um, I thought we cut bait on him too quick. Um, I mean that, <laughs> That Ilyasova Brandon Jennings trade is never gonna gonna age well. Um, but you know, Harkless, I think, ended up being who he was gonna end up being. Um, as far as just like he could be a fourth or fifth starter for a team, but he was never gonna be like 
a McGrady or Paul George type of scorer because we we gave him his chances for that and he just he never quite developed that type of skill set. But he was a good two way player, like three and D, throw him in the corner, like he he could do that. Um, and then Oladipo, I mean, look, I think the best example with with Oladipo was when he was on Reddick's pod. I think back when he was with Yelp when Reddick's pod was on Yahoo, where it's like he went to to OKC. And it took learning from Westbrook what it was like to actually be an NBA player. And that was like towards the end of like his OKC run. And then he ended up in Indiana and he's like, okay, I'm ready to kick ass. But then the injuries kicked in for him. And I mean, he, he was an all-star. He was an all-star caliber player until the injuries, you know, took him out. And I don't know if he's ever going to be able to get back to anywhere near what he was at, at, at Indiana prior to the injuries. But I mean, that rookie season that we had him, like we played him at as point guard, like constantly. And I thought we were hurting his development. Like I, ra- I would have rather had had him play shooting guard yeah. from the get go than him playing point guard. And it just, I thought that held him back. Like, look, the drafting of Al- Alfred Payton and and Hizonia was what really hurt us. Like. Instead of ending up like, let's say, like instead of Aaron Gordon, we end up with Embiid, you know, because Embiid went a pick before us, and then we made the mistake of doing those trades that ended up getting us Alfred when there were other guys there. Like even like a Dario Saric would have been better for us at that point. Um, and then instead of Porzingis coming out, we, you know, we end up drafting Hazonia, and it's like it just that killed us. But um, you know, Vooch. Vooch was amazing. You know, he became a multi-time all-star. Like you can't ask much more from, from what we got out of the, out of the Dwight trade. Like we won the Dwight trade because of Vooch. Like there's no, there's zero doubts about it. Like out of that four team trade with Philly and Denver and the Lakers, like we, we got the best out of that. And so um, the trade wasn't the issue. The problem was just the development and just the environment was just toxic at the end. And it ended up where it ruined guy it ruined certain guys. Like, I mean, I think Fournier got damaged being here too long. You know, he he had that stretch where he ended up outplaying Oladipo because Oladipo was negatively impacted by being here. And so it, it was it was it was just like an according effect almost, or just like a stacked toxicity. It was just weird. But um yeah, that that went on quite the the vent, the vent or quite the <laughs> anyway, we're dangerously car, but, close to that happening again. I mean wouldn't i mean i i don't if this goes on for a few more months like we we might be like i'm not because yeah i mean it's it's gonna be a problem and i think all it takes is like a guy like paolo or even franz to like voice frustration and mosley might be packing his bags well we're gonna see like supposedly the team's great with him and whatnot and everything's good but just let let's see how this month plays out because it could get ugly uglier so um I do genuinely believe that this team, this group of like Franz, Paolo, Wendell, and I'll throw Fultz in as the fourth guy is much better, is better overall than what we had back then. I, because- I would agree with that too. But again, to, to, to your point with uh, Oladipo, I also agree that I also think that the players on the team now would be considered uh, more 
the lovers of the game of, of basketball, more gym rat. I think Oladipo was a gym rat who didn't know how to focus in. I mean, the diet was the only thing with him because when you're young, you'll eat whatever. Like, Alfred Payton ate like those those what was it the gummy worms, whatever the sour patch things, whatever. Like he ate a shit ton of those. Um, But yeah, sorry, I I I jumped in on you. Well, I was just gonna say not not that our players then or now are not working hard or potentially to the hardest of their capability, but they don't know how to work if there's not a model already there and right who who's the only one right now to provide that model terrence ross gary harris yeah i mean they're gary harris is rehabbing and terrence ross is in a gaming chair so if you're talking about like you know understanding the work uh, a la russell westbrook to to you know compare and contrast and improve there's nobody in the locker room night right now that's providing that example. The hope would be we we navigate the terrain this season. We land, uh, you know, two top quality picks next year again with ours in the Bulls pick. We get one or two, one of two of those to hit, and then we consolidate what we have and get somebody to pair with the with the young guys who can set that example and co-lead the way with them uh but you're still asking for a lot of dominoes to fall in the right direction uh, i i think there, there's got to be it can't just be the coaching staff assembled it can't just be the individual player that wants to get better i think there does have to be kind of a, a model uh laid out um which i don't think we necessarily have right now yeah and look we definitely are going to consolidate and rj hampton is going to be the first victim for sure on that maybe bomba and ross because their contracts um hopefully bomba and ross because their contracts but um again yeah it's i don't know what we're going to do with our cap space because i don't see from a free agent perspective who who's the target and then trade wise it's like i thought donovan mitchell would have been great and he's been amazing for cleveland but you know, that didn't happen because uh, suppose, you know, because supposedly it was a year too soon for us. But, um, you know, going into the offseason, like, is Luka Doncic going to be pissy enough to want to get out of Dallas? I don't know. Cubans want to going to want to keep him happy. But, hey, man, Jason Kidd's not a good head coach. And he's he, he's uh, he might ruin that for Dallas fans. Uh, you know, I I mean, I'd love Luka. I, I mean, Luka's got some ego things and i i don't like it when he he yells at the officials but overall like i like luca i'm a luca fan but um even like would 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 it be like would kevin durant be an option like he's hidden that he hits that he hits all the check marks from a veteran age perspective like he still has star number one like leading score potential and like a guy that can show like paolo franz like stuff that that would be awesome. I just don't think he wants to leave New York. He wants to be in a big market. So yeah, you're right. I mean, the consolidation thing is happening. I just, I don't see what the magic see as the, as the option. Um, I just laid out two things just for, for the hell of it. And those are like best case scenarios in my mind for what's happened, what, what might happen. But um, all right, two things before we get out of here. So one of them magic, one of them non-magic. So Dennis Scott is going to be the 12th uh, Magic Hall of Fame inductee. I'm and, and usually they do this in the spring, so I don't know if you know maybe it'll be like February, March, April, whatever, somewhere around there. But 
I'm not going to lie. I thought like Rashard Lewis, Hito Turglu, Horace Grant, or Jameer Nelson would get inducted before Dennis. Um, even I think Kevin from the six man show wisely mentioned Dennis Newman, get it, you know, getting in like Dennis Newman better get into the magic hall of fame. Cause he got job um, losing the radio gig, but, and yeah, uh, Stan Van Gundy, he better get in, but it's not going to happen with Alex Barton's there. I don't think. <laughs> Dwight's going to eventually get in, of course, but like I, you know, like I said, Alex Martin's in the Boston of the gatekeeper. So I, who knows, but I'm a little surprised that Dennis is the next guy. Like he belongs in there. Like he's the franchise record holder for three pointers made. Like he's got quite a few records. He was our second first round pick ever in magic history. He played a role in that 90, you know, in that 95 finals team. Um, he suffered that really bad knee injury. I think it was his second season in the league um, that really hurt his athleticism moving forward. So, but because he was such a great shooter, like he, he got, he made it work. I mean, he, he was basically a 40% three point shooter with the magic and um, you know, he belongs no doubt about it. He belongs, but I'm a little surprised he's the next guy, but I don't know. What are your 3d thoughts? Um, first of all, <laughs> I, with with so much first of all yes he had a long tenure and uh on the court still holds up in terms of records and and also meaningful moments in, in magic history so uh they also put an emphasis on character off the court which leads Whoops. you to go down the uh the, the, the basketball the camp hole, yeah of the youth basketball camp where you can still find grainy local news footage of, is uh, that still up somewhere oh man oh, i thought oh, they took it, it down entirety yeah it's oh, great God. um i did not realize do you, did you ever go to the dennis scott 3d from downtown restaurant on orange avenue no i never did people loved it though people still it miss was, it it was great. I didn't realize he was business partners in that. Well, he, he was not in the restaurant. He just licensed his name. But the, the runners of that restaurant that, that led the way from a business perspective, John Morgan and Mark Nijame. Get the fuck out. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The, but the restaurant was cool. It was that was before just for feet existed. So that was the only like indoor <laughs> commercial basketball hoop situation. Yeah. Uh, in the 90s. So oh it was good. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I think that he deserves to be in. I'm surprised that he's the next one in. Uh, but also they're going to continue working through the, the subset of nineties guys before certainly the, you know, two thousands and 2010s guys and, and things like that. So, yeah, you and, might, and yeah, you're does, probably right. He does. I, he, despite how things ended, et cetera, there, there does seem to be a general affinity from 3d back to Orlando and the, the magic uh, organization. So again, Always nice to have that open door, especially with someone that still has a, a national platform on the NBA TV channel, et cetera. Um, and it'll be a good night for him and his family. Um, and, and for us too, we get to relive some of the old stuff. So all the way around, not a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, you watch the Alex Martin's NBA TV thing. I thought the speech was weird. Like I, the, the messaging yeah. and all like yeah. the, the, like what it was meant to be in that was cool. Cause he was genuinely surprised, but right. Dennis Scott's like look of puzzlement for like two minutes made me think he was thinking something bad was going to happen <laughs> when he saw Alex Martin's, but um, 
which is funny because I mean the the only time he he was with Martins at that time was when he was on the bench basically uh, or in the front office, but uh, not not in the role he is now, Martins. But um, as that was just interesting. But uh, yeah, all right. So before we get out of here, uh, I want to talk World Cup uh, a little bit, soccer, not not FIBA World Cup next year. Although we're gonna get Franz and Paolo in that as long as they still and and Moritz Wagner as long as they still stay healthy for sure. But you and I saw U.S. versus England. We saw the draw last Saturday at uh, Lucky Lore because Gnarly Barley was swamped, and it actually worked out because it it rained during the match outside, so it worked out. But uh, going back to the end of the win over Iran uh, in that last group stage game was intense, especially with the very high stoppage time being utilized in this tournament. Um, just a really long, long amount of stoppage time. It, it felt like a lifetime, but uh, Pulisic uh, is good to go in the knockout stage. He's good to go for the round of 16 game tomorrow, Saturday morning against the Dutch. And I think the U.S. have a shot against the Dutch to get to the quarterfinals because uh, the Netherlands, they're supposedly having illness, uh, giving and that team illness. by Jamal Mosley. <laughs> yeah, really. Louis van Gaal, though, their, head, their coach is actually quite, quite a character um he could and he's dealt with cancers and 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 defeated cancer for now and he's he's quite a character though on the mic um but other than cody gakpo for the dutch like they the netherlands have some scoring problems and i feel like the u.s can can eke out a 1-0 win um but i don't know what any any usmnt thoughts any world cup thoughts obviously it's bullshit that it's just you know Qatar is even hosting this and the fact that this is happening in in the winter when and during a condensed schedule as well like there's not there's they're even getting less rest during the World Cup than they normally would in a summer World Cup but um I don't know any US thoughts any any I know soccer is not your favorite sport so hey, well the breadth and depth of your knowledge and fandom uh knows no bounds and you should be commended for that um, <laughs> but I I I wouldn't be shocked to see the US win tomorrow um, I, I, my prediction is, uh, extra time. Okay. Fair enough. So no penalties, it's going to end in extra time or are you just predicting I, that I, it's going to go in extra time. I think extra time going to get a, a goal for the ages and extra time. All right, man. That's, well, that's going to cost some heart attacks, but that's going to be worth it for the celebration. So yeah, hopefully you and I can see that somewhere, uh, tomorrow morning. Cause it's a 10 AM kick. So depends on which sports bars and stuff are open, but, um, yeah. Shout out to the Aussies, by the way. Australia made it to the knockout stage for the second time in its history. I got a bunch of Greek uh, relatives uh, in Melbourne. So I've seen all the footage of them going nuts in, in Melbourne, Australia. It's it's freaking awesome. And it would be really cool if they beat Argentina and then they face the U.S. in the quarterfinals. That'd be kind of interesting. Two underdogs get into the quarterfinals. But yeah, that's it. Any any final thoughts? Any magic stuff, Penny? Um, are we strapping in for a really shaky next few weeks? <laughs> I, I, that's going to be an understatement, I think. But hopefully, we'll get some uh, some Markel Fultz and Cole Anthony on the upswing here. All right, we appreciate you listening to another episode of the pod. Please subscribe and give us a wonderful rating. It helps our podcast ranking a ton. Uh, tweet us any of your questions and feedback. Penny, what's your Twitter handle? At Spencer Strode. And I'm at Papa Giorgio MBO. With that, take care. Let's go magic.